everybody. Welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. Today, we're not going to be just talking about starting a private practice and even like um, growing into a group practice when you're successful and waiting lists. We're going to talk about what happens when you get an unexpected offer to write a book that just like kind of lands in your lap um, <laughs> through the process of building your private practice. And we have Kelsey Torgerson, Torgerson Dunn. <laughs> I usually just call her Kelsey, so I never yeah. say her whole um, <laughs> long her name. name. Yeah, long name, uh, big name, because she's big and awesome. So it's fantastic. Um, here today to share her journey of starting a successful group practice and writing her first book, Kelsey. Do you want to share with people um, your your name and when, when I'm not stumbling the over pronunciation. it? Pronunciation. Yeah. Yes, like <laughs> where you're located um, and your uh, website address. Yeah, sure. So I'm Kelsey Torgerson Dunn. Uh, I'm the founder and owner of Compassionate Counseling St. Louis, which is located in St. Louis, as am I. Um, so my private practice is Compassionate Counseling St. Louis, and we specialize in anxiety and anger management. So that website is compassionatecounselingstl.com. And then you mentioned my book. So my book websites and my author stuff is at kelseytorgersondunn.com. And we'll include a link so you don't have to figure out how to spell Torgerson then on your own. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So, you know, I always love to ask this question. In a minute or less, why did you decide to become a therapist? Oh, um, well, in a minute or less, my mom's a therapist and she's retired now, but uh, she was a couples counselor and she actually owned her own private practice in Iowa. And um, ever since I was really little, like I was at a fifth grader taking infant CPR classes because I really wanted to be a babysitter. So I've always wanted to work with kids and my mom being a therapist, um, I kind of went into this area of therapy for children and teens and it, it really it grew from there so um, i think big goal was always to help people and just over time kind of landed on therapy and you know writing a book as as a really good way to, to help people oh i love that i love there's not i'm one of those people that was like a little kid that people are like oh yeah you were five years old telling people that you wanted to be a psychologist yeah. like how did they even know what that was like i don't even know um mm -hmm. so i love that we are like aligned in that way, of the, aligned in that way. like yeah. hey we know what we want so mm -hmm. from the point that you started down the path did you go straight into it like just straight through school or did you have any like detours yeah, no, it's straight through. So it was you know, high school, college, grad school, and then kind of that shudder of like, well, what do I do after graduate school? That that was a little bit more of a transition period, um, getting a couple different jobs, like working as a research assistant and then working at an eating disorder facility and finding out that it's like not a population that I'm really a great fit for. Um nonprofits and then, then ending up in, in private practice. So it was straight through up until the professional piece of it. Yeah. From the point that you graduated graduate school to the point that you were like launching out in private practice on your own, how many, how, how much time was in there? So uh, I graduated in 2012 and then the private practice I opened, gosh, like four years ago now. So 2017 or 16, I think. <laughs> so 
as mental math wise, I want to say like probably five, four or five years yeah. um, before I did that. Okay. And what was the, <clears throat> what was the pivotal point in 2016-ish, yeah. um, give or take, um, where you're like, it's time, like now's the time to open a private practice? Well, so I was um, working at a nonprofit in St. Louis, um, which had a school partnership program. So we were sending therapists to different schools throughout the greater St. Louis area. And I um, was working as a supervisor there. I was seeing clients in the office. I was working two days a week in a school and then also like going to other schools on Fridays and uh, had a massive caseload. And I was like, this is not sustainable, but also because I was tasked with training all of the therapists at the agency on feedback informed treatment. So getting outcome scores and session rating scores, like I knew from the research that you need to really tailor your treatment and you need to be able to refer people out when you're not the best fit and working in a nonprofit doesn't really allow you to do that. Right. It's like get as many hours in as possible because of tight margins and everything like that. Of course, provide the best quality care, but also have a hundred people on your case load. Like, yeah, I was going to ask disconnect. that question. Like the, when you said like the caseload was, was crazy, like about what did that look like? In so, uh, yeah, at the school, I was only there two days a week and I capped it at 50 kids on my caseload. So oh. I was like, I cannot do more than this. Um, and that was way too many already. And then at the nonprofit office day, I only had one office day a week. So like seven available times and had like 20 people that I was supposed to fit in there. So, you know, we get those kids where you see them for at the school, like 15 minutes and be like, all right, this is my one time that I get to do any kind of session content with you. It just was not a good fit and not a good fit for the kind of therapy that I wanted to do. And like knowing how much more support those, those kids really needed. I think there's so, so much in there too. Like I capped it at 50 because I knew I couldn't do more. But if you had not capped it, if you had not set the boundary, it would have been more, I imagine. Yeah, yeah, it totally would have been. Like, send them to Kelsey. She's great. It's like, I am great. <laughs> I love doing this work. I can't, right? And I um, previously, I had started the practicum program at the agency. So then I had a practicum student who could be in for an extra day too. Um, but I, you know, I didn't have that extra help for my last year. And um that was the point where I really started to look a lot more in depth into how would I even start a private practice? What would that look like? Um, found you guys through various Googling things. So it was a, an idea that had been floating around for a while because my mom had her own private practice. But I think that was the point where I was like, I need to get this in place now because this is, I'm going to burn out otherwise. Yeah. Well, and how do you think that impacted you seeing your mom in private practice? Like, was, did she have like, did you feel like you had this like great vision of private practice from what she did where you're like, wow, like she's a successful businesswoman. She can really walk me through this. Like, this is what I like, I'm, I'm set up. Or did you feel like, oh, I could see it could work. But like, like, what was the, what was that from, I don't know how to say that, but like from like a mentory, yeah. like envisioning what you're seeing, what's being modeled for you. What did that model look like? 
I was kind of both sides of that. So like on the one hand, here's my mom, who's like this awesome businesswoman, which I didn't even really understand at the time. Like, oh, she's like, she has her own business. Um, I was just like, oh, that's so cool that my mom can come home for lunch sometimes. Like that's all, all I really understood. That's all your kid really, kid really cares yeah. about. Are you I'm here so for crazy. me? You're here for me. You picked me up from school today. Thank you. Um, I think seeing that side of it was really motivating, but then the other side of it where she was an insurance-based practice and would talk about, you know, like having these bills that still hadn't been paid by the insurance companies. So just like knowing that, that side of the work and also the, um, the side of like different office dynamics or like office politics when she worked in a group Mm -hmm. practice that she was a co-owner. And I think seeing a lot of the, the potential downsides of it too, and using that to inform my decisions for, yes, I want to do sole practice. And like, no, I don't want to have to deal with insurance. And yes, I am able to charge like this high of a fee versus, you know, she would charge maybe $80 an hour, which is definitely a lot less than what I would charge for someone to see me. How does that feel when, um, when you started out and you were charging more than your mom? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I was like, who am I to ask for this much money at first? Um, but my mom was so supportive. I was just like, yeah, good for you. Get it. So, <laughs> hey, I mean, we hear so many stories of, of therapists who are shamed and by clinical supervisors, by mentors, by people that should be really supporting them. So how amazing really is your mom that she was like, no, like go for yeah. it. Like, I wish I had done that. Like, yeah, that was really great. Cause I definitely from other people would kind of get that other side of the, you know, who are you to charge? And I think when I first started, I was um, charging 165 a session, like, mm-hmm. who are you to do that? Um, but she was never, she never had that kind of, or even if she did have that opinion about like, you know, I've been in practice for 30 years. Um, she, she kept that to herself and was just very supportive of me. Mm, I love that. Okay. So you started sometime 2016 ish. (laughs) And it sounded like you said, like you found the Zinimi stuff and checked Mm -hmm. out the free trainings and what have you from the, and I know you did, when did you do bootcamp? Cause you did do bootcamp. Yeah. Bootcamp. So I'm going to say 2017 that I did bootcamp. Okay. Yeah. So I started thinking about private practice 2016. So 2017 bootcamp and started compassion counseling. Okay. So from the time that you started, um, to the point that you were full, Mm-hmm. about how long did it take? Well, so that's kind of a tricky question because full for me has looked different over time. Yeah. So um, I got full pretty quickly, but full for me was like five clients mm-hmm. in addition to what I was already doing because I was keeping my full-time schedule. Um, so I, I probably, after setting things up and like getting everything good and having my website you know, live and everything like that. It probably took me mm, three months to get full and then reaching that point of being like, okay, well now I've done this piece and I'm going to look at asking my, um, my job, if I can go down to Mm -hmm. part-time, which is something I actually talked with you guys about in cat, which I don't even, are you guys still doing the cat group? (laughs) We have a different version of that, (laughs) of like our accountability program, but yeah. So that was where we would do like monthly coaching calls and it was a group thing. And so I talked with you guys about like feeling ready to pull back and just do part-time. And then I went to 10 clients a week. And then after that, I went to full-time private practice. So it was kind of like over the course of a year, getting to that point of being all the way full-time, but I probably could have done it, done it sooner. It was just feeling ready to do it. It, it. Well, I think the feeling ready and, and looking at like, 
what is your risk tolerance? How does this feel? What would, what is my backup plan if like things don't keep going in the way they're going? Like there's a lot internally, like, is this a fluke? You know, am I imposter? Is every, what if it's just random that I've gotten all these clients and get all these referrals? Like what if that all ends tomorrow? Yes, totally. Like what if this dries up? Like what if these people that I've been meeting with who have said that they're going to send clients my way decide not to send anyone my way ever again? And uh, I don't have a salary. So like how would I make sure that I'm okay? So really getting a good handle on the numbers and here's what I need to charge. And also like here's everything that comes out of the fee before it even gets <laughs> gets to my pocket. Right. Like really getting a handle on that was so, so important. I think that is the that piece of it's not that I'm making $100 an hour or $300 an hour, whatever the thing is. When you start taking out the expenses and the taxes and the fact that you had to do one or two or three hours of work to, to, to be present in that space, whether that is like marketing or bookkeeping or networking or calling um, doctor's offices to like do consultations for your current clients, like all sending letters out and doing progress notes and all these other things. Yeah. Suddenly that hourly rate, when you actually break it down, like is not, it's, it's not this like big, crazy number that we imagine it when we're coming from the agency. For sure. I feel like even more than that, besides just the hourly rate, which is like how much taxes come out of it, like not knowing that because it'd be like, oh, it's just a little bit out of my paycheck. Like every couple of weeks being like, oh no, I have to set it aside. Like my accountant at the time is like set aside like 25 to 30% for taxes. Yeah. Just like put that aside right off the bat and just be yeah. like, oh wow, that's such a huge chunk of it. Yeah. Um, that's a recognizing that. That's a third of it before you set aside for vacation, for sick time, for any retirement. Like these are some, not, not every agency does retirement, but most of them do have some sort of sick time, have some kind of vacation. Um, and like all of that, you have to take care of on your own. You have to take care of all mm -hmm. of your trainings on your own, the time off that you need to go to those trainings, your license fees, like all of these things become your really, health insurance, your health insurance. <laughs> your yeah, yeah. These are big, big pieces. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as you were um, going and you got full-time in private practice, when did you make the decision and why to move into a group practice? So after doing my private practice on my own, and it's the dates I should have listed out, like specifically, here's the <laughs> but, um, I've been doing private practice like full time on my own. Um, and then I was feeling really full. And um, I think it was probably, I want to say full time on my own for just a couple of, it's either a year or a couple of months, probably a year when I was realizing like, yes, a year. And I was like, I can't see all these people who are calling me and I keep sending them out. And like, at a certain point, I should probably look at what if I could send them to someone here that I'm training, that I'm supervising, that I feel really confident in. You know, I love meeting with other therapists outside of my practice too, but to keep it in house would be really, really great. Um, and so that's when I decided to start looking at hiring somebody um, and spent a lot of time to coming up with here's what it would look like. And here's the training materials that I would want them to have. And here's um, what I could even afford to pay them. And like 
how I want to set it up so that they have like time to do documentation. And here's like a stipend I want to be offering. Like, what does that actually look like? Getting that really firmed up before um, hiring somebody. And it was a probably from posting the job to actually finding and hiring my first therapist, Allegra. That was like a five month, a four or five month process of mm-hmm. just finding that person. Um, and that was actually, I posted it at all these different places, but it was the word of mouth, like one of my old co-workers from when I worked in the elementary school, uh, she and I ran into each other at a training and she sent it along to one of her friends who she highly recommended. And um, that ended up being Allegra, who's wonderful. And like such a great, great asset to the team has been working for me for almost two years now. That's awesome. What was the biggest surprise for you as you transitioned from a solo to a group practice? I think the biggest surprise is just the amount of extra work like already I'm, you're in your sole private practice, you're doing all this stuff on your own. You're like, okay, well, it's how much more work is it to book these people with somebody else? But it's, it's a lot more. And um, supervising the staff and being available for consultation and putting together trainings and then realizing, oh, I didn't even think about this specific process that I automatically do. I need to train someone on how to do that and really break that down. Um, I took a, a lot more time than I really realized mm-hmm. it would. Once you get someone trained though, and they feel confident and you feel confident and you can kind of pull back, that's when it feels like you're really working in tandem and it's really, it's really a good fit. Um, and I have two new therapists now who have joined me. So I'm kind of going through that process again, times two. And it's like, oh, that's, that's a lot more. Um, but I think once everything's flowing again, it's, it's going to just go off on its, on its own and minimal um, maintenance by me. Yeah. That's amazing. And in the midst of all of this, I feel like we're like trying to shove so much into this. You have such a great one. In the midst of all of this, you decided to do something. Mm -hmm. What was that thing? I decided to do two things. So I decided to try and get pregnant and I did. Um, and I decided to write a book at the same time. Uh, so I did both of, both of those things. Concurrently. Yeah. Okay. So which came first? You decided to try to get pregnant first. Yes. Yeah. Uh So you're already pregnant. You've already committed to this project of having a baby, Uh right? (laughs) And then, um, share the story of how the book presented itself during this sort of best worst time best worst time yes definitely uh so one of the things that I have been doing for compassionate counseling St. Louis based off of your recommendation even is um we've had like a an ongoing interview series so right now it's once a month we feature a different helping professional on our website um again a really great way to kind of showcase other awesome therapists and to make connections um and to really share the idea that we're not the best fit for everyone. We want to find other people who are really, really great. Um, And through that interview series, we hosted someone who does a specific kind of DBT, radically open DBT, which is not a modality I've been trained on at all. And New Harbinger, the publication team reached out to me to email me and they said, hey, we were looking for someone to write a little blurb for this book that's coming out. We saw this interview with Dr. Gilbert on your website, but um, we were looking at your website and we really like your writing style. And we'd really love to know if you're interested in writing a book. So, you know, let's set up a time to talk a little bit more. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Um, 
because I've always wanted to write a book, but uh, they reached out to me and then I specifically worked with that acquisitions editor over several months to kind of talk about what would that process look like and what would I even write about. So we workshopped for a while to figure out the topic. And uh, then I like sent that whole pitch to New Harbinger and uh, they decided to move forward with it. Okay. We're going to talk about the book more, but yeah, let's talk about this part. You're um, as you were like, there's this part of you that was like, Ooh, I'd love to write a book someday. But as you were just doing the process of like blogging for your private practice, trying to boost your search engine optimization, your SEO, trying to make a light in your community, provide some resources for your clients Did you ever imagine that your blogging was going to give you that kind of like direct opportunity that (laughs) I love she's shaking her head. I'm like, the people listening to the podcast cannot hear you shaking your head, (laughs) Kelsey. (laughs) Right. So what was it like when you got that first like email out of the blue saying like, Hey, have you ever thought about writing a book? Like here it is, New Harbinger. Like, did you know the publication? Were you like, is this a scam thing? Like, what were the things going through your mind when you got My that My first thing was Googling that acquisition editor's name and being like, is she a real person? And she was, and she was like on the official New Harbinger website. Um, even more than here's my blog and someone wants me to write based on the blog. It was like, here's this person from a big publication who found me because of an interview that I posted on my website. And I wasn't even the one who like, who answered those questions, you know, she was. Um, so that was really, that was totally wild. I assumed that if I wanted to write a book, I would have to like reach out to publishers specifically and craft everything and get it all set up and have it really tight. And this was more of like a eventually wouldn't it be so cool if I could do this so to have someone from a team focus on acquisitions email me and reach out to me and you know want to work with me to figure out what to even write about um it was like way beyond what I would have even imagined for myself yeah and I mean I think about a lot of people that I've known where they wanted to write a book and they end up hiring like even a book coach, which is fantastic so that they can figure out like, well, what are people really looking for? And what do I really want to say? And they kind of go through that workshop process. Here was someone basically offering that for free to yeah. say like, Hey, I really believe in you based on like what you put out into the world already, just in like the basics of like doing your work. And mm-hmm. I'm going to provide that for you for free because we, I, I see you know, I see a possibility here. And I already work for this publishing team. So like you would be submitting it to us specifically. I know Uh what we want. Yeah, (laughs) Here it is. Okay. So from the point that you, um, that you submitted the pitch, how long did it take to hear back from them? Um, So that was kind of, it was a multi-month process. So they reached out to me in like March or so, February, probably like right before everyone was realizing that there was a big deal pandemic that was going to happen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we spent a couple of weeks kind of going back and forth and originally talking about like, maybe I would do a book on act stuff, or, you know, maybe it would be like a little bit more perfectionist and focused. And then really 
specifically drilling down to this idea of working on a book for teens on anxiety-driven anger and having it be not just like a workbook that a therapist would use, but having it be one of their self-help books that's like a little bit more guided by the reader. Um, So that was a couple of months. And then to put together the pitch and you have to do research on like how well-known is this issue? What are similar titles on it? Who has done research on it? Who has already written about it. And there's not a a ton out there on anxiety-driven anger specifically. Um, That was another couple months. And then they ended the summer, end of last summer is when they signed off and sent over the book contract. And then we started working on the book with a timeline and uh, having a conversation with the editors about, you know, this pretty big interruption to the timeline that was happening in in September. (laughs) You know, delivering a baby. Just delivering my baby. Just a little like delivering (laughs) and like finishing growing a human. So how much of the book did you have written before delivery? How many chapters did you write? So the process with New Harbinger, which I really like, but I think other publishers do it differently, is you would send batches in every like two or three months. So a batch Mm -hmm. of like two chapters, and then they send it back to you. You do edits on those two and you send the new two. And so I had already written in my submission uh, a very brief introduction and two sample chapters. So those were the first two chapters that I worked on Mm -hmm. um, once the book was approved and I had submitted those two. I had gotten the edits back. So I started working on the edits and started working on chapter three and chapter four. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's when I started um, (laughs) to have like this really interesting experience of having uh, like just burning, itching all over my body. And so I was uh, like eight, eight months pregnant. And so I called my doctor about it. Um, and the on-call doctor was like, it's probably not a big deal. Come in for testing. And then my doctor called me back like Monday morning before the office even opened. I was like, Hey, it sounds like you have cholestasis. And uh, which is, if, if you don't know, I would love to spread the word. It's a rare thing where your liver is producing too much bile and it can actually like you know, really injure the baby, even cause like unexpected death of the baby at that far along. Um, and so she said, you know, you're far enough along, there's no reason to wait. We're going to call you in and, and induce you. Uh, and that was two weeks before my due date. So very unexpected. And so I was in the hospital and emailing the editors and be like, Hey, so I'm being induced right now. Here's what I have so far. Here are the edits, here are the two chapters in progress. And I'll, I'll talk with you again. And like, three months because here we are okay so let me, I just want to make sure I have the picture like fully yeah. in place were you like laptop on your belly in the hospital hugely bed? pregnant in the hospital bed like IVs hooked up to me and because I'm being induced like Pitocin, Pitocin so like having- which is I have done Pitocin. Like it's an intense experience. For it's an intense experience. So I'm like, that. I'm emailing all my clients being like, Hey, as we talked about, you know, babies come on their own schedule. So I'm not seeing you. And, uh, and then you're pausing. <gasps> and then going back. I'm like, here's my editor. Hey, here's what I have so far to submit. And it's like alternating between being on the bed, being on the birthing ball. And, you know, we got it all done, but that looks pretty pretty unexpected (laughs) (laughs) but a great story like a great story yeah great story okay awesome so then you took time off to like fully be with with your daughter your gorgeous daughter um and then when did you how long like what did the process look like to go back to writing as Mm -hmm. a new mom with like an infant 
as a new mom with an infant and with a group practice, uh, so, <laughs> uh, with the group practice, we had set it up where I had like a full document of here, uh, like, like all the onboarding stuff, like reference all these videos and asking them, is there anything you want me to show you how to do before I'm gone? Um, you know, once a, once a week, I'm going to be checking this document. So if you have questions or if you want to mark a poll on me, I'm checking it Monday mornings. And so I would only do that once a week to maximize baby time and to be as efficient as possible. Um, I took two months before I started kind of like thinking about getting back into the manuscript again. Um, and then, so I had Sophia end of August, and then I probably started looking at the book again October started writing again in November and then I had like my next batch do so like the two new chapters edits on the four chapters I submitted that uh in December and then got back into got back into the writing and uh writing with a baby and like child care that we didn't have because it's just my husband and I uh, doing it the two of us it was during very a pandemic. different during a pandemic <laughs> let's very not, like different. throw that out there that like you you've also, now like you are having a baby that you mm-hmm. planned for but you didn't plan to have a baby during a pandemic right yes with no child care with friends who you know didn't want to come to the apartment to get the baby sick potentially just mm-hmm. yeah it was a lot of a lot of stuff on my plate all at once uh all good things but yes. besides the pandemic, but like all, all very big things. And uh, on their writing schedule, realizing, you know, I have to submit these chapters like every three months. Uh, I can't just like write whenever I want to now. Like I have to really carve out the time and instead of just, you know, doing a little bit here and a little bit there, it's like, okay, I've got one week visiting my mom and I'm going to like write, you know, 40 pages as fast as I can and do edits on these previous like 100 pages as fast as I can uh, it was productive which was good but it was uh kind of a lot at the same time mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> and again while while still like managing a group practice yes so managing a group practice uh while caring for a brand new baby and like dealing with postpartum anxiety and you know living in a pandemic and all this stuff. It's a, it's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. Yeah, what would be your biggest piece of advice to people who maybe they don't have all of these particular issues, but they're, they're in private practice and they're trying to figure out how to find the balance. Mm-hmm. What do you think has been like, like your biggest piece of advice to like, how do you find the balance? How do you decide what to say yes to and what to say no to when you do have all these opportunities? What's your guiding force? That's a great question because I don't always feel like I have that. So I guess mm-hmm. the guiding force is recognizing like there will be times when you do push. And for me, like times when you really push and there will be times when you pull back and being okay with that kind of that ebb and the flow. So not working so hard that you're burning yourself out, uh, which I, I, I didn't reach that point. And that was why I left, you know, my previous work at a nonprofit. So I knew that was important to me mm-hmm. and uh, letting stuff go, like really getting clarity on what is the priority and what am I okay with like kind of putting in, in the parking lot. Um, and I think the balance comes down to really thinking about how do I want to spend my time you know, when I look back on this, but it's going to be most important to me. And am I putting, putting that time in those areas or am I getting caught up in the stuff that's not as important to me? It just seems important in the moment. Yeah. 
All right. So how, I'm going to ask a tough question. How did writing the book impact your clinical caseload? Yeah. So um, it had a pretty big impact on it. So with maternity leave, um, you know, I had Sophia a couple weeks early. I was planning on coming back in January and, um, you know, filling up a day and being like, you know what, five people a week, that's hardly anything I can do that. Um, and I, I really credit working with you on this, uh, recognizing that you could do that, but what if other stuff comes up and like, you need time for the baby and time for the book. Like, how about you wait to book those sessions, uh, and give yourself a little bit of time. And I had already like committed to seeing two of those people. So it's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just see these two people. Um, after a month, I realized this is not sustainable for me to do the baby, do the group practice, do the book writing, do the supervision, do the management and have a totally full caseload. So I kept it to just one person. And now um, it's June. Uh, once this person graduates from therapy, I'm taking a break from the clinical side of stuff for, for a while, which was not something I ever really thought I would do. But I think over this time period, recognizing my own limits and how I want to spend time with my daughter. Um, mm -hmm. And I can still be helping people through the group practice and providing tons of support and opportunity for my staff through the book, um, you know, reaching more people than I could have ever reached on my own. Uh, I think those are ways that I still meet that need, that really important need of being a helper while really valuing um, my own personal needs and my family needs too. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit. When does the book launch? It is so the yeah the book comes out February of 2022. So it's and I will be I'll be all done with it at the end of the summer, and then it goes off to the publishers for everything. I'm so excited about this book too. So like for and I think this is such great great place too. For therapists, you mentioned that this isn't a book that's like specifically worded towards therapists. This is really something that is very client-based for therapists that are trying to decide if this is something that they could recommend to their teens or to that something they could kind of go along through the process with their teen clients. What would be, what would you tell them? Like, who would this book be best for? Yeah, so this is a, basically a book for my ideal client. Uh, so it's a book written for teens and college students um, who look really angry on the outside, but internally they don't necessarily feel angry. Uh, they feel a lot of anxiety and stress and overwhelm. Mm -hmm. So it's really written for those clients who do have anxiety-driven anger, which is um, a specific clinical area like a specific piece of that anger puzzle that I feel like hasn't gotten a ton of attention yet, but is becoming more and more well-known, especially, you know, given all the stressors that we've been experiencing as a society, mm -hmm. recognizing that that internal stress and anxiety plus external stress is increasing the severity of people's anxiety. Mm -hmm. And for some people, it's going to look more like classic anxiety, but for these teens, these, these readers, it doesn't look like anxiety. It looks like a big anger management issue. Mm -hmm. So it walks the teen through how I would probably like set up sessions with them. So like learning about, you know, what is anxiety and what is it anger and how does it feel on the inside? How does it look on the outside? Um, talking through the anger iceberg, 
um, looking at the window of tolerance and then teaching them a lot of skills for managing that. So mm. skills with like restructuring th- thoughts versus just like accepting thoughts and um, a whole chapter on coping skills, which is one of my favorite chapters to write. So a lot of like really practical walkthroughs um, and problem solving and then ending mm. the book with um, maintaining motivation through like a visualization activity. So thinking about your ideal self, like, in six months from now, in a year from now, like what do you want it to look like? Because managing anxiety-driven anger is not just like you reach that goal right away. It's an it's an ongoing thing. So I think it's really written for the kind of client who feels really misunderstood and feels like people haven't really understood what they're going through. They don't get it. Um, so here's a book written for them, um, so that they they really know what to do and how to move forward. I love this. And I, I love, I, I feel really honored. I mean, I, she's mentioned it a few times. I happen to be Kelsey's, Kelsey's coach on the other side, not her, her business coach, not her book coach, but I've gotten to like read some of the book. Um, yeah. And I've gotten to like, hear some of the stories and examples that she's put in there. Um, not like, you know what I mean? Like fictional stories and examples and what have you. Mm-hmm. And I think it is, it's a beautiful book. I can't wait to see it. And it's finished um, in its finished place. And if you are a therapist that works with teens or adults, I would say like, get a copy (laughs) Um, (laughs) for sure. I know Kelsey has a, um, has like a little freebie for therapists. Um, So if you want to talk about that. Yeah, for sure. So, so with the book, when the book comes out, um, there'll be a couple different specifically mentioned tools that we're going to have copies of on the new Harbinger website, but also on my website, which is kelseythorgersondone.com. And right now, if you guys um, can sign up for the the newsletter, um, I'll be sending you a little bit of a preview from the book. So um, one of the things that I'm really excited about in there for teens, but also for professionals is this three-step approach to anxiety and anger management. which is CBT based, but kind of taking in what I've learned through all of my years of clinical work. Um, And so it's a walkthrough about um, identifying and empathizing with what you're feeling, calming down strategies, how to move forward with it. So if you want a sample of that, which is um, a worksheet, but also a sample chapter from the book, you can sign up for the newsletter uh, on my book website. Awesome. How cool is this, Kelsey? It's just such, it's been such an honor to work with you. Um, and see you go through all of these places of, hey, here's the vision of what I'm wanting, and then to like create that, um, Mm -hmm. and then even to have these opportunities come up and have you go through them um, with with just a lot of grace, (laughs) even (laughs) with the amount of like stress that is happening or the amount of responsibilities that you have and to see you um, enjoying your daughter through the entire process and sweet Sophia that I get to see, get little video messages from her. Yeah. Um, Thank you. It's been, it's, it's, it's been so wonderful working with you too. And kind of even thinking about what my vision was for me as an individual. And then like my vision for, Oh, the group practice, like to have a book and to be growing like way beyond what I thought it was even going to be like faster than anticipated. Um, it's been just really, really cool um, and really exciting and like more than I had even imagined for myself. Um, and I think too, like having you as, as my business coach and 
Zanini and, and everything like that has been really helpful for teaching me how to do the things, but also giving me enough strategies to like know how to take it on my own and, and move forward with it too. Yeah. Ah, oh my goodness. Okay. So if there was one piece of advice you give to therapists out there who maybe were where you were kind of in that, like, if I'm not burnout, I am pointing towards burnout because I'm so overworked. What would be your advice to them? Hmm. I think my biggest piece of advice would be to, to be hopeful about like what you could do on your own. That was my big thing is I was so nervous about it. I didn't really trust myself and trust the process and recognize that, you know, if, if someone isn't signing up to work with you for therapy, or if like people aren't calling you, it's not like a personal failing. It's just part of the process. Um, you know, it's, it's a scary step to take, but you can start taking little steps with it too. Uh, and keep that security blanket as long as you need to. Um, but my biggest piece of advice is just to move forward and to be hopeful about it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I could not agree more. And just know if you're out there, people need you and they need what you are doing uniquely. Um, you have something to say, you have something to offer and giving yourself the opportunity to do that is a gift to the world. So all right. Well, if you need, um, whether it's just free resources in how to set fees, how to get started, how to move beyond the couch, we have those at zinnyme.com, Z-Y-N-N-Y-M-E.com. Um, or if you need a step-by-step to growing, launching, or revamping your solo or group practice, check us out, Business School Bootcamp for Therapists. We're here for you. Um, we need more therapists like you out in the world. All right, until next time, guys. <laughs>